0: The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we do
1: thank you for listening to America's Web Radio. And it's time now for our special show, and particularly special this week, Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg, and we'll be joining Philip momentarily. Phil, thank you for being there for us.
2: Yes, sir. My
1: pleasure. We're going to uh, start out as we normally do, and particularly important this week, is with a moment of silence for our veterans, our veterans that have... Given the ultimate sacrifice and those that are serving around the world to protect us. We'll take a moment of silence and we'll be back in just about a minute. <music> Amen. And as always too, we get started with the show and what I I love best or one of the things that I love best and I did when I was on active duty and always found it interesting how it'll perk you up.
0: Take them up. Put them down. Put them down. down. Stay in step. Stay in step. Sound good. Sound good. Listen up. Listen up. Got to learn. Got to learn.
1: Okay, we got our Jody going, and uh, I'm ready to finish that half mile. How about you, Phil?
2: Yeah, that gets me going.
1: (laughs) You're ready to run it. Double time, and we're off and running. And this is a very special week, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it. Uh, May the 30th, that's this coming Saturday, is Memorial Day. And once again, I want to clarify something. People easily confuse Memorial Day and Veterans Day. But M- Memorial Day is when the government has cashed the check that we all signed up for. We just signed a blank check and which said, we promise to protect and defend at all cost. And uh, the all cost is the ultimate sacrifice. And so many Americans over the years have sacrificed. And, uh, Phil, I should have looked it up and I apologize for dropping the ball on this. When did Memorial Day start?
2: Well, <clears throat> it's, uh, Memorial Day, uh, began sometime, it seems, after the Civil War, uh, and it was, uh, there's folks in, uh, Columbus, Georgia, let's say it started down there. There's folks, uh, in Mississippi. There's folks in Illinois. There's folks in New York. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was, uh, it wasn't until, uh, sometime, uh, later, I think maybe in the, uh, 20th century when it was, uh, made a, a federal holiday. But, uh, it started with, uh, you know the ladies that went out and decorated the graves of the war dead, um, and you know some of those were Confederate, some of those were Union, and uh, you know uh, once the <clears throat> once the war was over and settled, and uh, these souls, uh, their bodies were you know resting in the grave. It, it didn't matter about the conflict anymore. Um uh, that they they served. Uh, in uniform and did their duty that, uh, they were called upon to do. Uh, I think, uh, Lyndon Johnson, uh, declared, made a declaration that, uh, some, there was a town in New York that was a, the, you know, birthplace of Memorial Day. But, uh, yeah. And, but you know, it didn't really start then. I mean, uh, from before the we even, uh, Columbus came to the new world, uh, people celebrated their war dead and honored them. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, <clears throat> a lot of people, you know, will say to me, you know, happy Memorial Day, or, you know, to, to the veterans that are, and you know, I, and I do have to remind them this is, this is for those that's Abraham Lincoln said in the Gettysburg address, who gave the last full measure of devotion, uh, gave their lives.
1: That's beautiful. So, uh,
2: yeah. But, uh, I do want to make one correction for you, David. Yes, sir. Uh, so this Saturday would be April 30th.
1: I'm sorry, it's May 30th. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it will not be Memorial Day. No. This coming Saturday.
1: No, it's May 30th and I know it very well because it's also my older sister's birthday and she used to, uh, get about that it was, her birthday was a national holiday. So yes, May 30th. I'm sorry <laughs> that I, I didn't mean to, uh, we'll go into it again next week as well.
2: Uh, and, and of course, Veterans Day, uh, started in, uh, you know, at the close of World War 1 uh when they uh it was actually originally called Armistice Day which is the day when the, the ceasefire took effect for uh ending World War 1 and uh I can recall my grandmother telling me that my grandfather uh was uh, in a hospital in France recovering from his poison gas wounds that he suffered from the Germans uh, on when the armistice was signed.
1: Wow. Phil, let me ask, and, and, and you brought this up sort of, uh, and it, it sort of goes along with, with current affairs, uh, that other countries as well celebrate the, the loss of their loved ones, uh, in the military. And I, I keep thinking about, the Russians that they've sent their sons off and daughters off to war now in Ukraine. And it's my understanding that there's probably over 30,000 that won't return. And, you know, that's got to get somebody's attention. When they send their, they don't even know for sure what it's all about. And then their sons and daughters don't return or they haven't heard from them or whatever what uh do you know what other countries literally do celebrate a Memorial Day type day or is this just gonna be something that uh Putin's gonna have to address
2: well <clears throat> I haven't really researched uh what memorial days uh others have, I know, uh, the Australians and the, uh, New Zealanders, they, uh, they, uh, commemorate what they call Anzac Day, which is the anniversary of, uh, Gallipoli, which, uh, most certainly was not, uh, a victory for them, uh, it cost, uh, thousands of lives, uh, uh but, And they call it Anzac Day, which was the, uh, Australia-New Zealand Army Corps, uh, that was sent in, uh, to do battle against the Turks, uh, at Gallipoli, was, uh, was pretty bad.
0: Hmm. Uh,
2: So, uh, you know, and warfare is bad, but, uh, you know, as for the Russians, you know, this, there's a lesson in this for us, and that is, um, if you're, if you live in a land where, uh, there's a democratic process by which you select your leaders, um, you really, uh, have to be very circumspect about uh, pulling the lever and voting. Uh, it's, it's not just about economics, you know, it's not just about, uh, social programs because you could very well be sending the flower of your youth into, uh, a very, uh, difficult time. That would, you know, they, you may be sacrificing your sons, uh, you know, if this is, if if you pick the wrong leaders. Now, I'm not sure exactly by, by hook or by crook how, uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, got his position. Seems to hold on to it without any opposition, but uh, this is—he's quite obviously uh, accountable to, uh, well, not accountable to the uh, electorate if there, if there is anyone to whom he's accountable on this planet. But uh, you know, he—he's <clears throat> able to send the uh, the flower of the youth of Russia. To go do something completely dishonorable, but just violate their neighbor. Um, and it just, uh, it just saddens me, you know, to even think of, you know, I mean, the, the women and children and, and, you know, innocents in Ukraine that have been, uh, killed over this. And then you think of the, uh, you know, the Russian conscripts that, uh, are being compelled to perpetrate this violence against their neighbor. Um, I don't I don't know what alternative they have. Uh, and I'm I'm sure that the Russian people are, you know, those who who know about what's going on are, are plenty unhappy about it. Um just uh, it's a very very sad situation.
1: You know, let me ask from a military standpoint. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but we've sent a number of howitzers to, uh, Ukraine. Is that really a defensive answer?
2: Well, uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the armored officers would tell you that, you know, the best weapon to use against a tank is another tank. Uh, and they favor tank on tank battle. And of course, as a former, uh, attack helicopter pilot, I would say that, uh, probably an attack helicopters a better weapon against the tank. But, <clears throat> you know, and of course our javelin missiles have been, uh, having famous success there. Um, of course infantry, you know, wants to oppose infantry. But, you know, you think about artillery, uh, these folks are and this you know, the Russian artillery seems to be that you know the one avenue where they're having the most success they're they're firing uh, you know into into cities you know if that's like shooting fish in a barrel you're you're going to get somebody and, uh, and they've been uh, been creating quite a bit of devastation and uh, death and uh, suffering in that way but you know one of the best Weapons you can give, use against artillery is artillery. And, uh, I would hope that, uh, we're giving them, uh, capability, uh, counter battery radars, because uh, if you can, if you can land your artillery on, uh, rounds on top of their artillery rounds, you will, uh, silence their guns. And, uh, it's, uh, I think if, if you can silence their guns, um, the Russians are going to really start to have a, uh, some consideration about what they're doing and count the cost if they can even prevail.
1: You know, also I heard that, um, uh, you know, we're, we're <laughs> leading from behind one more time. We're, we're coming in after the fact as opposed to before the fact of preparing ukraine for an invasion should we be doing the same thing right now with taiwan in your
2: opinion well um you know taiwan uh i've never been to taiwan i've flown over it and looked down on it It, it's it's bigger than you might assume uh it's it's you know in the pacific ocean it looks pretty small but it's a pretty big island and um very mountainous, and, uh, I think that, that, uh, the real, the real issue with, uh, Taiwan is gonna be pretty much, at least in the outset, uh, a naval engagement. And, uh, so we're, <clears throat> I'm, you know, surface warfare, uh, naval warfare is not my, uh, not my forte. Uh, I would hope that uh where we have things in place and and uh our navy is uh readying itself for uh what their role might be there's there's a lot of uh wargaming that goes on uh in the department of defense they use modeling and they use computers and they use they'll take the leadership of uh folks who are uh charged with leadership of, of certain, uh, assets and, you know, exercise them without exercising their troops and their vessels. So, uh, I'm hoping that they're doing a lot of simulations and, and, but I think, I think the Chinese are observing very closely what's going on with, uh, with Ukraine and they're saying that it's not a walk in the park. Uh, I've, I've spoken. As I've told you before, I uh, spoke to a lot of uh, former Russian soldiers uh, and asked them what they thought about. You know, did did it concern them that they would go to war against the United States at some point? and And uh, they just kind of chuckled and, and said they knew that their stuff didn't work. Hmm. Um, and uh, so <clears throat> I think. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the problem that the Chinese tend to have with their military, which is quite formidable, but it's, uh, it's rife with corruption. Uh, and I get that from reading articles, uh, when, when I was in, with uh, frequent Hong Kong, I would get the, uh, South China Morning Post and, uh, it always seemed that when they talked about the communist Chinese, military that they were uh beset with corruption and uh that made inefficiencies so when when you get that level of corruption you have you know false readiness reporting and uh so it it doesn't go well
1: Mm. on that note we're going to need to take a quick break and um We'll be back, and I want to talk more about that. That's very interesting because we don't exactly hear that on the morning news. We'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg right after a couple of messages. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. And we're back on America's Web Radio and we're right in the middle of remembering Desert Chill and Desert Storm. And, uh, we've got our host, uh, Lieutenant Colonel retired Philip Forsberg on with us. And, uh, sir, you just made an interesting point and, uh, I, maybe I've just missed it, but I don't, I try generally to pay attention to what I'm listening to on on the quote unquote news or opinion shows, but I haven't heard that much about the, how rotten are the, uh, what you were just saying about China and the, uh, uh, that it's corrupt, the military is corrupt and, uh, we know that China's corrupt, but I never, I don't believe I, have heard that much about the military and its corruption? Can you fill us in a little bit more?
2: Well, it's uh, it's just a theme that I I'd, uh, I I'd read in that uh, China Morning Post, uh, and of course, uh, as uh, China became more and more, uh, uh, you know, uh, clamp down on freedoms in Hong Kong the uh the nature of the uh of the uh, articles got a lot less critical of the, of the Chinese uh military but i understand it's it is a big problem uh and so uh you know i guess that you know their government itself feels uh that they're not accountable to the people and uh and i think the uh the uh, the military kind of is its own microcosm. But but you understand, um, in our, in our nation, the United States, the, uh, the army is a servant of the nation and the, the leadership of the army, you know, it goes to the president of the United States who is the commander in chief of the army and the Navy. Uh, so as a civilian, he's a civilian head, uh, so, so the civilian direction, and of course there's a secretary, uh, secretary of defense, secretary of the various services, uh, there's, you know, leadership. In wartime, uh, the, the, uh, chain of command goes from the, the combatant commander, such as in Desert Storm, uh, General Schwarzkopf, directly to the president, uh, and the other administrative parts are not, uh, They're not involved. They don't direct, uh, the warfare. But, uh, in the, in, in communist China, their government is the People's Liberation Army. That is their government. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm partial to the army, but People's Liberation Army owns what they call the People's Liberation Army Navy and the People's Liberation Army, Air Force, um, all of it comes under the People's Liberation Army, and uh, the, that's the construct that they have. Um, and <clears throat> you know, you're you're far away from being a republic, no matter what you call the official name of your uh, nation. You're far away from being a republic when the purpose of your army is to keep the the population of your nation in subjection but that's what you find in uh in China the people's republic of china uh it's not a, it's not a republic
1: so moving from China back over to Russia and what they're doing uh, i've i've heard a lot uh there many more comments about the fact that uh rule in Ukraine is done by generals as opposed to uh getting down to even the the sergeants in charge of the platoons or whatever and the it's uh and i think uh russia lost another two or three generals just recently the last day or two and so they have a strictly a top-down organization and there is no there are no NCOs, basically, correct?
2: Well, I, you know, I don't have uh, much intimate knowledge of the structure in uh, of the military in Ukraine but I, I would suggest that uh, that's probably uh, developing now. Uh, you know, the warfare that they're facing is helping them Develop what what things they think will succeed.
1: Uh, this is on the Russian side.
2: No, uh, I thought you were talking about the Ukrainian.
1: No, no, I'm talking about Russia. That uh, they generally have an overload of top in, and uh, yeah. they have very few and give very little authority to anybody under the generals.
2: Well, you have to understand that, you know, in the Soviet Union, uh, each uh, battalion would have a commanding officer, a tactical commander, and they would have a political commander, a political officer. And the political officer had wore a special distinctive insignia, and uh, they um, could uh, countermand the orders. Of the tactical commander, and they could uh, also uh, relieve the tactical commander. So um, it's uh, it's not a good way uh, to to operate. If, I mean, if you have a professional military class and you try to interject politics in it, uh, it, it doesn't go well. Warfare is warfare. Politicians can use warfare to their political advantage, but to, to mix it at that level is very bad. And I might point out to you that a, a friend of mine who uh, a retired one star who uh, went to West Point said that now at West Point they have special um, diversity officers that wear a special insignia, and they're there to uh, make sure that uh, the actual commanders are all living up to the uh ideals of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so... Mm.
1: Um, our, that doesn't sound our, good to me.
2: No, our very armed forces are being perverted with this kind of nonsense uh, from our uh, permanent political class. We have, seem to have our own oligarchs here.
1: Mm. Well, uh, we will... Unfortunately, our kids will ultimately pay for it if it stays like it is, and that's not good.
2: Well, I pray for our armed forces to, to survive through all of this, and for sanity to return to our government.
1: Amen. We need, we need a whole lot of it right now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's leadership, and uh, unfortunately, we don't have that. And I don't want to get into a lot of politics, but anybody that listens to America's Web Radio knows exactly where we stand, and uh, we've got to we've got to have a change. And uh, people have to wake up, and that's not woke, that's wake up, and uh, heed the call of of our needs and get rid of what we presently have. thats uh, As I see it, that's the only way we're going to be able to make it. Uh, we're going to take another little break, and uh, we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg talking about military, talking about remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. We'll be right back.
0: Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash americaswebradio if you have questions contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com and as always thank you for listening You're listening to America's Web Radio on the com. Thank you for listening.
1: And we're back on Remembering Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Desert Shield first, Desert Storm later. With our host and a gentleman that I have so much respect for and his knowledge of history is just incredible. Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And Phil, they're very... I look forward to being with you every Monday and picking your brain and seeing how much you remember and you're you're quite a historian and I appreciate it. <laughs>
0: well,
2: uh you know, I never I didn't study history uh formally in, in school other than some required courses. My dad was a history teacher.
0: Um mm. uh,
2: but uh I, I uh you know just come by cuz uh my professional military education it was important and I and uh i like to uh study uh leaders that were successful and and hopefully use that uh for my own success
1: you know that reminds me of and and i don't know how many times i've watched the movie and will watch it again whenever it's on and that's Patton. What a historian he was.
2: Yeah, well, I was never George Patton, but, uh, you know, I, I did try to learn from, from leaders like him. And, uh, he was, uh, he was definitely, uh, audacious, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, aggressive. And, and that's, uh, That's kind of what we need is, uh, aggressive, uh, leaders, uh, combat leaders, uh, people who can, uh, keep their, uh, keep their head about them when, uh, all around them are losing theirs and blaming it on him. (laughs) Rudyard Kipling said the, um, uh, and, uh, my general friend who, who went to West Point, uh, he lamented the fact that, uh. Our military academies are now, seem to be producing what he calls herbivores. And, uh, just, no, uh, I'm
1: sorry, say again? No,
2: we need. Oh, he calls them herbivores.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Uh, <laughs> um, we, we need carnivores. Yes. Uh, to be our, uh, to be our military leaders.
1: The men eaters. Uh, the meat eaters.
2: Yes, and, and, you know. We need, uh, to- uh, masculinity is not toxic. And, uh, only our enemies would suggest, uh, that we need to dumb down our, uh, masculinity of our armed forces.
1: And I can tell you they're not. I'm sure not. And, um uh, this is something that, uh, yeah. Again, you don't hear this if you hear anything on the news. It's it's the the girl that makes it through Ranger School or whatever, you know, and you don't hear the other side of it. And what's
2: interesting to me is uh, when they put women through Ranger School, uh, of course they but they're not considering. And people aren't uh, talking about is the fact that uh, well, number one, a lot of the Folks that volunteer to be Rangers do that because, uh, it's, uh, sets them apart. It, uh, just dis- defines their masculinity. And when you turn that into femininity, femininity, uh, you'll find that fewer, uh, young men are willing to, uh, volunteer for that. Secondly, when they, when they did graduate women from Ranger School, uh, there were some folks, uh, and Ranger departments that uh, pointed that out, that they had uh um, dumbed down the standards for these women, and the Army launched a massive investigation, not into the dumbing down of the standards, but to discover who might have leaked this information. <laughs> that was the outrage that the Army had not, not that the standards had been dumbed down.
1: Just backwards, right?
2: Soviet-style, you know, response to things.
1: Well, we're going to have to have a change at the top. And we support that wholeheartedly. And, uh, you know, it comes back to, and I I think the old guard realizes what's going on. And um, as I've mentioned many times, that with all the interviews that we've done here, and our veterans, I've never asked a veteran if his country called again would he answer the call, and everyone a hundred and one percent said yes, and this is where I think the old guard should to take hold of it again, and this inclusion stuff and this uh new philosophy or whatever you want to call it is crazy and people have to start the old guard like myself or you and the rest we have to stand up to it and say this is wrong and we can say it coming up very clearly in november and then again november of 24 we can say it again over and over again And this radio station, if whoever's listening to this show, be it live or be it you're listening to the archive of it, if you agree with me, call and we'll continue to work to get it back the way it should be, not the way the liberals want it to be or the communists want it to be. We don't believe in either one of them. Liberals are communists. So I'm sorry to get off subject Phil but I feel very strongly about this that we we can't have we can't have inclusion in the military the military has to be the military and well,
2: we do have inclusion I mean uh, at one time we uh we had a very bad uh division of uh, of the races in our nation uh and, um, uh, but that, uh, you know, the races are all integrated into uh, single armed forces. But, uh, uh, those who, uh, are not, uh, ne- don't necessarily have the best interests of our nation it, at heart. As I said, now, you know, now we have to include, you know, uh, all the women in all the combat roles. And, uh, it's just. Not a good idea um, and I mean I't sit there watching uh, when I would be overseas you know the only channel I could get on my television in English would be uh, CNN international and they would have an article about how is, isn't it wonderful that we've opened up all these uh, all these combat roles to women and then um, two, two stories later they'd be talking about uh, isn't it horrible that, uh, all these, uh, combat veterans are, uh, committing suicide in, in record numbers? N- never considering that, you know, you, you, when you expose women to uh, the horrors of combat, it's going to have a much more devastating effect on them. And, uh, you're just going to accelerate the number of suicides. It's, uh, they don't listen to them, their own, their own stuff, you know, they're, they're The narrative is more important than, uh, anything else. And, uh, it's just, they they lost all common sense. And, you know, sometimes it's good to think outside the box, but sometimes you find out that there's a reason for the box. There's a reason that we don't go outside the box. (laughs) You know, over centuries we've discovered what works and what doesn't work. And, uh, it's not a good idea to to mess with that,
1: and they uh <laughs> the women that have been in my life at one time or the other um they would be horrified to find out that there's not a bathroom every half a block or so.
2: <laughs> well, you know when I went through f preschool at Fort Benning, they told us the world is your urinal,
1: yeah, that's right, <laughs> but that was Fort and, Benning, the Boys Club school for
2: boys, yep. But, Banks of the Ubatoy Creek.
1: Yeah. You know, it, this is just... You know, it comes back to the old, like I've said over and over again, or many, many times anyway, it, until you walked a mile in my Moxicans, you don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, girls may, and there are a lot of them, or not a lot, I don't know how many, but there's there are a number of women that think, well, I'm every bit as good as any man. And they may be that, or maybe even better as far as pushing a pencil and paper, but, you know, I've seen very few women that could keep up with a man on the obstacle course or, you know, in the force march or anything else. And it's not, you know, some of these idiots think you can pick and choose your battles. Well, you you don't pick and choose your battles. The battles pick and choose you, and wherever you're at, you have to respond. Correct statement?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a luxury to be able to choose uh, the the time and location and circumstances under which you're going to fight. But by no means is that a guarantee you're going to.
1: No. And, and the first thing we learn going in is that I've got your back and I'm counting on you to have my back. And if you have some lady behind you, I'm sorry, but that doesn't give me a real trusting feeling, you know? And I, I'm not putting down ladies. My gosh, we need them. We need their moral support. We need their whatever. We need women, but not in a combat zone.
2: Well, you know, just an example. Uh, at one time I asked my wife, or my wife asked me, this is back before we had any children. She said, uh, would you let your daughter join the Army? And I said, no. She said, well, it was good enough for you. I said, I'm not a girl well, I don't understand. I said, well, listen, imagine that I was going to have to deploy tomorrow to a combat zone, and you knew that my survival was going to be dependent on the strength and courage of the man on my left and the man on my right, and then you found out that both on my left and my right were women. How would you feel? She said, well, not very good. I said, that's how I feel. Um. My unit, we went to Desert Storm. We sent back fully twenty percent. One in five of all the women in my unit got sent back home pregnant, and we were only there for six months. Wow!
0: Um,
2: I didn't want to be there, but I couldn't get pregnant, you know, and uh so I just had to stay and do my job. Um, you know, we what, we what? need our women to be wives and mothers, and, and not combatants.
1: Oh well, let me ask what. What is the, I know if you go out on your leave and you get a terrible sunburn that you've damaged government property. What is it with pregnancy?
2: Well, they're never going to go there. They're, they're never going to, you know, there's certain things that they're just never going to touch. So they just send them home.
1: Give them an uh, honorable discharge or?
2: No, no discharge unless they want it. Hmm. Um, yeah. you know, anyway, it, uh, it was funny was that one day we did have a son and uh, I just said to my wife, he's going to be a, he's going to make a wonderful soldier. And she looked at me and said, I don't want my son going in the army. <laughs> and I said, it was good enough for me. <laughs> well, we'll see.
1: And see how nice I am, Phil. I'm yeah. not going to ask how the end... What well, the end of that story was, I'm just gonna drop it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're my, well, you're, you're
2: uh, I'll tell you that my, my, I have two boys and, and I uh, encourage them to consider the military, but, uh, they, uh, they chose a different path.
1: Interesting. Uh, I didn't want your wife to affix bayonet, you know?
2: Oh, no, no. But she, uh. <laughs> and come uh, after but, me. But, yeah. But my boys are both, you know, registered with Selected Service. I'll make sure of that.
1: Well, you know, I, I know where your faith is and mine's the same. It's uh, somebody else who made the plan for us and uh, we follow that plan. And if, if we need them, I'm sure they would be the first to raise their hand. As, uh, you know, I uh, continue to uh, respect my son that's, uh, he's in Iraq now, so he's, uh, it could get interesting for a while, but, you know, what's that's part of it, and back to Desert Shield and Desert Storm on May the 30th, we don't want to forget the number of folks that did give the ultimate sacrifice in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And, uh, want to remind, as we always do, and, and Phil happens to be a service officer with the DAV. And if you need any help, if you're a veteran or a veteran's spouse, and you have questions about your eligibility for benefits, uh, contact a service officer at one of the service organizations be it the VFW the DAV uh whatever American Legion whatever it happens to be contact a service officer and find out uh there's there's some new uh, mortgage things coming out I understand for veterans
2: uh, I'll have to look into that um, the uh, t- you know today I uh I had lunch with uh, uh, with a bunch of veterans, and the fellow sitting to my right hand was um, a fellow who's going to turn in July. He'll turn a hundred years old, wow. and uh, he was wearing a cap, so he was Army Air Corps. And I thought and he was a flight engineer on a B twenty four Liberator uh, operating in the Pacific in World War II. And, see, uh, you know, we were in a uh, crowded restaurant, and it was kind of loud. And, and he, uh, he couldn't hear me quite well. He had a hearing aids in and I asked him, you know, is, is a VA compensating him for his hearing loss? And he said, no, no, no. I said, well, i I would be honored if you'd let me put you in for that disability. He said, no, I don't, I don't think I deserve it. I said, listen, I said, do you think that being a top gunner on the 50 cal on the B-24 Liberator? All that engine noise and all that firing. I said, Cal, you think that might have had some effect on your hearing? He said, Yeah, well, I know it did. I said, Well, you're entitled to this. You deserve it. You earned it. They let me put you in for it. So I'm at, I'm hoping he'll call me and we can get that done.
1: That's, that's a super story. And we owe our veterans so much. And we've got to see like what Phil does and a number of other folks that we've had on being service officers and letting the families know, you know, what's available to them, what's available to the veteran and also to the veteran's children. In many cases, they're, uh, educational, uh, enrichment type programs that are, are available. And, uh, Loans and so forth. And we have to let our veterans, probably some of the most important people walking the face of the United States. And I know that America's Web Radio supports the veterans and loves the veterans. And, uh, we're always looking for another story. And, um, <laughs> that's, that's what makes the show so good. We know that the, there's an in, endless bottom to the well of stories that veterans have. So we'll always have another story. And um, I like the one Roger Wise tells about being at the, the healing wall, or the wall that heals, and having uh, a young man tell him that was looking at his father's name on the healing wall and saying, you know, I met my father today. And he was... You know, scratching his name onto a sheet of paper with a pencil and, and, uh, he was born just after his father had gone to Vietnam and was killed shortly thereafter. And so the young man had never, never met his son, never met his father. And, uh, I just, it's hard not to choke up when you think about that. And, uh, you know, some of the things that we're faced with today are just, you know they're mind boggling and we have to have an answer to it. And we have to, in my opinion, we have to change this administration and I I'm not a big supporter of Austin or Malley or any of those people, Millie or whatever his name is. But we'll change it. It's gonna happen and it's gonna happen sooner than they want. So with that being said, uh Philip, what else have we got to say about Desert Shield and Desert Storm? Uh, it's over 30 years old now, and uh, yeah. you and I both know that people have already in many ways forgotten about it, which I think is a, a terrible sin.
2: Well, um, it still, you know, gives us lessons today. Uh, it was probably the biggest proving ground of... uh NATO systems versus, uh, Warsaw Pact systems, uh, and we, uh, we certainly, uh, benefited from, uh, that little proving ground there. You talked about those who gave their lives to Desert Storm, um, and, uh, there were, uh, I think there were less than 300 total combat deaths, uh, on our, uh, American forces. And so, uh, I'm grateful for that. Uh, and we, uh, you know, we got in there and, and we, uh, I mean, we, we essentially executed every play that was in our playbook, you know, uh, we called the shots for the whole thing. And, uh, uh, uh I guess, uh, James Baker, our secretary of state, I can recall him making a statement in uh, early January saying telling Saddam uh, saying that he had made a series of miscalculations to this point and any further miscalculations on his part would be uh, extremely costly and of course they were.
1: You know uh, what you've told me and what we've talked about a little bit is our tanks compared to the Russian tanks. And yet the Russians have called in China to supply them tanks in Ukraine that have been totally worthless almost. <laughs> and Russia's finding out what made in China really means.
2: Yeah, well, they're just, they're just Soviet, uh, designs that are licensed to the Chinese to manufacture. So certainly not going to be improvements. <laughs>
1: And they're, they're sort of getting what they paid for, I guess. But anyway, that's uh, so be it. Uh, do you see an end to your Ukraine?
2: Uh, you know, I'm not big on predictions. Um, I did predict that we were going to prevail against Saddam in Desert Storm. Uh, but, you know, I had a lot more firsthand knowledge of what was going on. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm afraid it's going to linger for, for some time. Uh, and, uh, I hope that, uh, reason will somehow make its way in, and, uh, that the Russians will, uh, cut their losses and, and just, uh, go on back home and sue for peace. And, uh, you know, they're, they're very likely to be, uh, sanctioned for, uh, the reparations that, that, the damages they caused, uh, it's just very, very sad, you know, uh, when you got things like that. But, you know, civilizations have, uh, have endured similar. I mean, uh, I look at images of, uh, the devastation in Belgium during the First World War. Uh, but you go to Belgium today and they pretty much put everything back But tremendous waste. Warfare is just tremendous waste, uh, waste of resources, but most critically waste of human life.
1: No question. And so many people don't, don't appreciate and don't understand that. They just, uh, take it for granted in their own way, I suppose. But that's, that's what we try to do with our our veterans and we always want to encourage young folks, if they're graduating from high school or from college, to look at the military for a career. It is an outstanding career. You'll gain more than you can ever imagine. And, uh, with that being said, we're going to have to, uh, put the plug in the jug and gosh, Sir, I guess we can go ahead and get started now for next week's show.
2: gets there'll <laughs> no. putting together my notes for for next week. Pardon me. I'll be putting together my notes for next week. oh okay
1: <laughs> well, I'm such a slave driver, but no i just enjoy being with you phil and uh, you you bring so much to the table and so much experience and so much knowledge that I'm just. Every time we talk, I, I, I'm just in awe of, of, uh, the things you know and, and your hero.
2: Well, well, listen, I, I enjoy it. The only thing I don't enjoy quite so much is the flattery, but, uh, but yes, I, I enjoy doing this.
1: Well, your, to do it. your hero took care of Atlanta. That's for sure. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back next week with Lieutenant Colonel retired Philip Forsberg and more of a remembering Desert chill and Desert Storm. Stay tuned for more on America's Web Radio.
0: The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com.
1: Thank you for listening.